The singing, of course, as always, is so encouraging. Songs such as, My Eyes Have Seen the Glory, and songs such as that one where you and I just sang together about that sweet consideration, mounting up like like my net with wings like eagles. You know, much of that song in many ways is borrowed from Isaiah 40, verse 31, where that, of course, is a wonderful description of our life in Christ in so many ways. Good to see each and every person gathered here today. And it's our desire, of course, to be encouraged by all things that would be godly and also to honor the God of heaven who loves us so. I hope in your Bible that you'll be returning to that text in Mark chapter 5, and we'll be revisiting many of the particulars of that section this morning. Among the matters that I will share with you as we start the lesson is this one. So many individuals come across the consideration of the Bible for you and me to consider. And as we know, the Bible has preserved these for us for a reason. There are great lessons to be found in it, encouragement to be found in it, And even though we do not know the name of this woman, the woman with an issue of blood, we do know that her record, the inspired record of her, is something we can learn from today because it's contained in more than one of the gospel accounts contained in the Word of God. Today we're going to do an expository sermon. That means we're going to step verse by verse through this particular text. And as we do that, we'll be pausing to draw conclusions, make applications, and learn lessons about all the particulars that we're seeing. As we do that, I thought it might be wise to spend just a moment of introduction and doing that in the following way. It'll be by an elaboration of verse 25. So let me read several verses, and then we'll go back and and revisit in some detail. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched His garment. For she said, If I may touch but the clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague." And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Now that particular set of verses is one that fits into a rather busy chapter for our master. In fact, a number of matters were such that he was set about in many ways. I hope all of us remember that when we get busy and demands come upon us from so many directions it would seem, We should remember the Lord, too, had some busy days where there were folks who were demanding His healing efforts and those demanding His attention, and yet the Lord never dropped into sinfulness or dropped into bad decisions. May you and I in wisdom never allow our busyness to overwhelm our righteousness. As we look back to verse 25, it begins like this. 
and a certain woman. Now, the first word in the verse is the word and. And so it fits into a larger discussion that had begun earlier in the chapter. And if I may fill those details in, it went like this. There was a person named Jairus. And he came before Jesus and begged the Lord's attention because his little girl was sick. Now, all of us who are parents know when your child is terribly sick, you'll do anything in your power to help them get better. Anything you can do to encourage or assist any improvement in their health because it tears you apart to see your child hurting. In this case, Jairus had begged of the Lord, My little girl is sick. And so, as the Lord heard about Jairus' request, he proceeded toward Jairus' place of residence. He was going to go and help the little girl. But yet on the way, here's a woman. Verse 25, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years. Have you ever wondered what Jairus was thinking? My girl is sick and you're stopping to help this woman? Can't you take care of her after you've seen my little girl? Can't you do this later? I'm sure that that might have crossed our mind. For after all, she was so sick, we're about to learn shortly, she's going to die before Jairus gets back to see her. She's going to die before the Lord ever gets there. Don't you know, Jairus must have been thinking, if only this woman had waited... Why couldn't she have waited at least a few hours until the Lord could have seen my little girl? Fact is, sometimes you and I in life can find ourselves in circumstances in which we think twice about certain things and we question the way in which the development that is otherwise of God would be. As we go back to our text, this woman, verse 25... We're told that for 12 years she had suffered with an issue of blood. Now you'll notice on the slide that we're about to find, if I may at least briefly point out, that there's a good ending to this. I said Jairus' little girl dies, and she does. But yet when Jesus does arrive, He will take Peter, James, and John into where she is, and He will raise that little girl back to life. And don't you know that that filled the heart of her daddy in a way that nothing else could have done. Don't you also know that he was certainly well aware of the power that this man Jesus has, that he could raise his little girl back to life. But of course, this woman will be our discussion today, this woman with an issue of blood. And you'll notice about the middle of that slide, she in verse 12 is such that she captured the Lord's attention. Now, I ask you to notice the text says she had been afflicted for 12 years with an issue of blood. The text doesn't go into more detail. What was this issue of blood? The original word carried with it the idea of, of, a, of a hemorrhaging. An idea, if you please, as I've listed you to note there, a flowing. That's literally what the word originally meant. She had a discharge of blood, and it had gone on now for 12 years. I might invite you to notice what the consequences of such a situation as that would have been. If she was a Jewish woman, she would have been perpetually in a state of uncleanness. Because in the book of Leviticus, especially chapter 15, there is a lengthy presentation about what the consequences were of blood and of a discharge of blood. 
The text there says you were unclean until the even. Now, you were unclean as long as you had it, and that until the even was true for all of those who would come in contact with you. So in other words, if you sat down on something, and someone else then sat on it after you, they were unclean until the even. Not only that, anything you touched would have borne that matter in uncleanness. Can you imagine the kind of isolation that would have come with a life like that? People would have shunned you because they wouldn't have wanted to touch anything you touched. They wouldn't have wanted to be around you. They wouldn't have wanted to be afflicted, you see, in any consequential way with what you had. I suspect that her life was in many ways rather miserable. As you look back to the verse, she had had this 12 years. I would invite you to notice on the slide that some more things that you might appreciate then are going to quickly follow. First of all, let's make a quick application. At least a point in consideration for you and me today. We may not literally be a person with an issue of blood, but in principle, what does sin cause you and me? What does a choice of ungodliness make for you and me? Now again, she was afflicted with this flowing, and it was a part of a health condition. For you and I, as you and I consider sin, it causes uncleanness. It causes spiritual sickness. Isaiah 59 will put it like this, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Did she feel isolation? Almost certainly. Did she feel separation? Almost certainly. But sin brings that to you and me too, but it's a far worse kind because we're separated from the maker of the universe and the one who can save us. And we choose to be removed from Him. Well, at this point, isn't it sweet then to continue to the next set of verses? Let's turn our attention to verse number 26. That verse again reads, "...and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse." We should make an initial observation. She was very concerned clearly about this. And she tried, at least in the means available to her, to get better. She sought physicians. Could I pause long enough to invite you to know? We know that there were doctors in that day and time. Luke was a doctor, the writer of the third book of the New Testament and the writer of the book of Acts. He was a physician. This woman... She sought the attention, she sought the healing advice, she sought the, the medical remedies that were available to her, she sought these physicians. But now the bad news, she was no better. In fact, the text says she was growing progressively worse. Maybe this flowing was now more frequent than it had been. Maybe it had come to the point of being nearly continuous, we don't know exactly about that, but the text does say it was growing worse. At the very least, can you begin to imagine the circumstances both physically and relationally this would bring? Do you suppose she had many friends? Do you suppose she had acquaintances that were close to her? Maybe not. The text doesn't say whether she was married or not. We don't even know that. At the very least, I've asked you on this slide to note this. 
she had spent all she had. She had tried, apparently to her last measure of opportunity. She hadn't used all the available resources that she had. She'd spent every penny she had, it would seem. These, prof- these professionals, these doctors, but she was no better. Do you imagine a bit of desperation was coming into her life? A bit of despair. I've tried everything that I know to try. All of that being said, verse number 26, perhaps a quick application for us might well be this. Don't you get the impression that she was persistent? That she was a persevering person? She didn't give up. Although this had lasted 12 years. 12 years. And it would seem to be far more than something that just occasionally occurred. Today, you and I surely need to appreciate the needfulness of being a persistent person. You and I need to have a mindset in which, regardless what happens, we're going to do what's right. Although other forces against us might make that difficult and might make that challenging, it shall not deter us. We shall do what's right. Now, this woman, through these 12 years and all that that had brought, might well bring us to appreciate she still had one more attempt. She may not have had the money for any doctors, but there was something else she was going to try. As you and I close that slide, doesn't it remind us of how often the Lord encourages us to be a person unwilling to give up? Aren't you reminded of that man born blind in John chapter 9? Here was a man who again himself had been born blind, and yet the Lord used him as a powerful object lesson over the course of that chapter, teaching not only him, but many of the Pharisees otherwise about what the God of heaven can do. Maybe it is in that light. We come to verse 27. This verse I paired with verse 28, and it's the one Cale read in our hearing just a moment ago. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched His garment. For she said, If I may touch but His clothes, I shall be whole. Now we just noted in verse 26 how that she again had made many opportunities, it would seem, to doctors and other professionals, but had become no better. But now verse 27 says she heard of Jesus. Now we don't know where her hometown was, the text doesn't say. We don't know what distance she might have traveled so that she could be near to where the Master was. But she did make that investment and she did make that effort. And that verse then says, when she had heard of Jesus. I suspect that there was a great delight in her thinking and a great deal of excitement in her mind when she realized, I've become no better. And rather than letting desperation grip her, she heard of the Lord and made a determined dedication. I'm going to make an effort in this way. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. The press. Now I know today we use that word press to identify those journalists and others who perhaps interview a famous person and maybe these journalists are thronged about this particular famous man or woman. But the press quite often could be there. Meanwhile, I might even recognize a paparazzi in a way who they are there in numbers. 
Well, the press here doesn't mean that kind of thing. It means the throng of multitude, the people who were so interested in, in Jesus. Maybe in what He could do by way of healing, perhaps in some other ways regarding teaching. But remember, He was on His way to the house of Jairus. Maybe the crowd was wanting to see Him perform a miracle. Maybe they were just excited to see, here's a man that can raise the dead. Here's a man that can heal sickness. At the very least, there was a grew, a large group of people around Jesus. The text says this woman came in that press. She not only stood at the back of it, but she no doubt had to force her way through the group to get up close to where Jesus was. But she did it. She didn't let the crowd deter her. She didn't let the multitude as expansive as it may have been. Regardless what that opposition was, the text says she made her way close enough to touch the clothes of Jesus. Now you and I at this point might simply regard there had to have been a large number of people around Jesus. Remember, His disciples were among the number. Would they have been close enough, maybe making a kind of barricade around the Lord? Well, if they were attempting it, they failed on that point. But here was a woman that got close enough to touch, Luke will say, the hem of his garment. You'll notice on that slide that it then asks us to note this. What was she thinking? Notice it wasn't an accidental touching. Verse 28 says, She said... Here's a time when the inspired writer points out what was crossing the mind of this woman. Now notice, this is not something that Luke by himself would have known or that Mark by himself could have known, unless, of course, the woman had audibly said it. But it says in verse 28, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She had tried doctors in mass. She had tried physicians in large numbers, and they had been unable to help her. But she was convinced of Jesus. The text says that she knew, if I may but touch His clothes, I'll be whole. What confidence, what assurance. She knew the Lord could heal her. May I ask of you and me, do you and I know that He can heal us? And are we willing to go to the measure somewhat parallel to her to allow Him to do it? We can't live a life of sin and expect to come to Him. For He's too pure for that. He's too holy for that. This woman knew that He could heal her. And of course, the Bible tells us He can heal us too. May you and I know it. And may we, in fact, longingly behave in such a way that we'll invite Him into our life. In Mark 2, verse 17, Jesus Himself would say, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And all of us are in that latter category. Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. This woman, in many ways, is an impressive figure. I suppose many in her day didn't consider her impressive. I'm sure they looked down upon her and maybe considered her an outcast among outcasts. Like we've said, she surely knew what separation was like. And yet... She knew something. She knew where healing could be found, and she knew. And she was willing to invest what was required in order to make it so. At that point, what about then verse number 29? 
as excitement builds in the text before us. Let me read verses 29 to 31. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of this plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me. Did you notice in verse number 29, there was a moment when she touched the clothes of the Master. She came in contact with the Son of God. And the text says, straightway. You might want to highlight that little word. It's a word that frequently occurs in the book of Mark. In fact, it's the key word in the book of Mark. Forty-two times in 16 chapters that word occurs. Not nearly as often in the other books of Matthew, John, and Luke. But what does straightway indicate? It means immediately, instantly, that fountain of her flowing was dried up. Mark's emphasis in his book is frequently on the immediate action available from the Son of God. And that was impressive to those to whom Mark wrote. Remember, Mark wrote to the Romans. They were people of action. You didn't beat around a bush with a Roman. Tell me what's on your mind and let's get to it. Well, to the Romans, that word would have meant something. They were accustomed, you see, to being the people of the world. They give orders and other people do it. They give orders and others submit and obey. When the Lord did something, it was instant. A man of power and action. Straightway, the fountain of this woman's flowing was dried up. But not only that. It says, she felt in her body that she was healed. She knew it. She didn't have to wait to get home to find out. She didn't have to wait to some other time wherein a diagnosis could confirm it. She knew it. Can you imagine the excitement in her life? The feelings crossing her mind at that moment to know I'm finally freed from the carnage of this disease and all that has gone with it. I'm sure the level of freedom that she felt at that moment, the level of, if you will, separation from the kind of life she formerly had had to lead, it must have been exhilarating. On the slide, I asked, you to at least ponder some of those thoughts with us. Today, we've just learned that you and I can appreciate that there is a sinfulness. And when we are given to that, we too are separated from God. When we become free from the malady of that sin, there should be an excitement, a thrill, an exhilaration, a degree of mental consideration that is beyond what in some ways words can express. Do you remember the day that you were baptized for those who are members of the body of Christ? Do you remember what it felt like coming out of the baptistry? The things that had been the characteristics formerly of your life, whatever they had been, whatever was sinful, Whatever was ungodly, whatever was inappropriate in any way, whether spoken, thought, or said, it was gone. Never again would you have to answer for the guilt of it. You were free from it. Doesn't the Bible describe coming out as white as snow, pure, uncontaminated, 
May I say that if you are a wayward child of God at one time who has come back to the Lord, did you also feel it then? The degree of connection to purity and holiness, the kind of matter in which that maybe at least in some way this woman felt at that instant when she was free from this. May I suggest that we never allow ourselves to lose sight of the feeling you have when you're in the presence of God. The kind of feeling you have when sin's not a part of what you're living for and not a part of who you are. Well, surely in this connection, this woman felt healing. And the text would indicate in verse number 29 that she felt in her body. So Mark has told us that again, she had the sensation of knowing that what she hoped would happen had occurred. Now on to verse number 30. At the bottom of that slide, may I invite you to notice the Lord's reaction. He knew power had gone out of him. Now keep in mind, he had been touched by a lot of other people among that throng. For even the disciples said it. Jesus, don't you know? There's all kinds of people who have touched you and perhaps in the bustle they have rubbed against you. But yet, the Lord wasn't anyways near saying to them what He said to this woman. Because you see, they didn't believe like she did. They weren't convicted of sins in their life like she was. They weren't convicted of their need for Him like she had been. And so it was that Jesus now recognized and said, Who touched my clothes? Among all the hundreds, or perhaps even more, who had touched Him, there was something special about her. Something direct about her. Something that was worthy of some attention about her. And so the Lord asked, Who touched me? Now, can you imagine, perhaps at that point, that the woman maybe very sheepishly and very timidly had stepped forward and touched his garments, and she knew that she would be healed, but she wanted to do so in a very unobtrusive way. I won't interrupt the Master. I won't bother his efforts. I'll just touch his garments and go about things that way. But that wasn't the, the Master's idea. He paused, he stopped, he turned, and he addressed her. Because look at what happened. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him. So now amongst this audience, amongst this group, she now stepped forward, and in proverbial she said, I did it. I touched you. I touched your clothes. And then the text says, in verse number 33, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done, came and fell down and told him all the truth. She shared her complete story. Jesus, this is why I did it. This is the kind of life that I have and the disease that I have been afflicted with, and this is why I did it, and this is what I did. You can well imagine that as others were listening to that, maybe they were frowning on the woman. Maybe they were a bit upset that she had interrupted his journey and that she was bothering him this way. But it was no bother to Jesus. And may I say today, we won't bother the Lord any time we come to Him. His heart yearns for us to be faithful, and yearns for us to be given to Him, and yearns for us to walk hand in hand with Him. It's never a bother to Him. We can pray to Him and pursue Him, 
and turn our life over to Him, and not only is it not a bother, He will welcome it. That should be an encouragement to us in the light of the Lord's reaction to this woman. As you'll notice at the bottom of the slide, there are certainly some things that is, are brought before us in that same verse. Isn't it interesting the text had said the Lord looked around? That doesn't say, but doesn't it make you wonder, as His eyes peered over the audience and He made eye contact one by one with them, how did the woman react when He made eye contact with her? Do you think she began to shake a bit in nervousness? Do you think she began to be a bit uncomfortable with the thought, He knows it was me. <laughs> he knows I did it. I can't hide it from Him. Now, by that time, she knew she'd been healed. The text had already said it. And thus, she, it seems, was ready to come forward and confess it. And on that slide, I've invited each of us, perhaps, to honor the thought of confession. What goes in together with it? And so, on the next slide, in verses 32 to 34, that thought is developed this way. Confession's really important to God, isn't it? We are required to do it. We realize in verses such as these, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, we understand that with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made, listen, unto salvation. If we aren't willing to confess, we'll never be saved. We have to confess the nature of the Lord's deity, the nature of who He is, and certainly the nature of our sin. Because after all, that sin is what separates us from God. And that sin is what causes us to be unfavorable in His sight. This woman confessed all to Him, to the Master. She, she told all the truth. One last thing in verse number 34. Upon hearing what she had to say, Jesus said to her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Several things perhaps worthy of comment. One of which is he called her daughter. Now we know well she wasn't his biological daughter. But isn't that a tender expression reminding to her how much he loved her and how much he was thankful for her expression of faith and the kind of life with influence that she could live. Daughter? Thy faith hath made thee whole. Notice, he said her faithfulness, her commitment to that course of action which had been in her mind. May I say, as Christians, we too are committed to a course of action. When we became a Christian, we professed throughout life to be faithful. May we hold to that consideration. May we hold to that determination we made. He said to her, Your faith has made you whole. Now, the Lord had said that to more than one person in the biblical record, hadn't He? You might recall, on other occasions, almost exactly that same phrase was used, Thy faith hath made thee whole. May we never underestimate the reality of faith, the nature of what it's like to live in harmony with it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1, but when we get to the brass tacks of the matter... Faith is doing what God said to do. 
for the reason He said to do it, in the way He said to do it. That's faith. And thus that characterized Noah and Moses and so many other Old Testament worthies as recorded in Hebrews 11. And so this woman had made a determination in belief of what the Lord could do, and she acted upon that, and it came to pass. May I say that there are so many things you and I know too that the Lord can do. Forgive sin, take us to heaven, and live with Him there forever. Well, aren't we then in a position to at least act in the confidence of that consideration in parallel just like the woman did? That's why we worship in truth and in spirit. It's why we're committed to the faithfulness of the Lord's description of the church. It's why we're committed to the nature of what the Bible has revealed in those ways and so many others. Maybe the last thing on that slide would be this. There's a profound question asked in John 5 verse 6. It's a question that I hope we'll never read by too quickly. In that text, there was a person who was sick. And Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? I think we could ask all of us the same question. If you're sick today, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be spiritually whole? Do I want to be so? Well, certainly, you would think anybody would have to say, well, of course I do. Nobody who is physically sick would ever want to stay sick, surely. It's nonsensical, isn't it? And yet, when that question was asked in John chapter 5, do you want to be healed? Well, of course, the Lord was about to perform a miracle, and that man that had been paralyzed so long was finally able to walk. But in parallel today, this woman was healed, and she was healed instantly. I'd say today, you and I, if we are sin sick, we could be healed instantly. Long before we ever leave the doors of this building, if that's what we want. Because the Lord can do it. There's no doubt He can do it. But we have to want Him to do it. Do you want to be whole today? Do you want to be healed? You know, the plan of salvation still reads the same as it has read for almost 2,000 years. If you've never been washed in the blood of the Lamb, to borrow the words of Revelation 7, 14, why not today? If you want to be whole, it can happen. Believe in the Lord, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If, however, you're a wayward child of God, you have known the power of the gospel and the power of the Master. But over the course of time, you've come to live apart from it by your choice. Oh, how far you've fallen and how much you need to come back to your first love. Do you want to be whole? If you do, why don't you come while together we stand and sing?